It's good to see that most Ohioans are seeing through the nonsense in the coronavirus. We'll be talking a good bit about a new Baldwin-Wallace University poll on today's episode of This Week in the CLE, the Cleveland.com podcast. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com, with fellow editors Jane Cahoon, Chris Ranowski, and Laura Johnston. I hope you all got outside Saturday when the weather was so ideal. I did. I got to play tennis, which was super fun. Wow. Yeah, I soaked up a bunch of vitamin D myself. Yeah, we <laughs> we we took the dog to the the park. It was nice. It was very nice. Was it all yeah. busy? Because I thought I've never seen these tennis courts so busy. Because it's the only thing people can do for exercise and, and bike ride. I know yeah. it's like two things. Everything's good. A mix of masks. Some people wearing them. Some people not. So we'll we'll see what the future holds. <laughs> all right, let's get to the poll. What's the latest poll show about people in Ohio wanting to restart the economy? Our frequent partners at Baldwin-Wallace University's Community Research Institute did a statewide poll on attitudes toward the coronavirus, and the results are fascinating. They say we want to restart the economy, but when asked specifically about opening various parts of it, they say no way. And they absolutely adore Governor Mike DeWine and Health Director Dr. Amy Acton, Poor John Houston is not so beloved, though, probably has something to do with him being the fall guy for all the unemployment problems. Jane Cahoon, let's start with how Ohioans feel about DeWine's decision on the coronavirus compared to how they feel about President Donald Trump's. Well, the the poll shows that Ohioans think Trump is doing okay on the coronavirus response. They Like a bare majority of 50.3% said so. But when it comes to DeWine, I mean, a whopping 85% support his his actions, which is just an incredibly wide gap. And 79.2% of those who were polled think that DeWine acted at exactly the right time, whereas just a smaller majority, 51.9%, think Trump waited too long. Uh, and then 75% of Ohioans think DeWine's doing a better job on this issue, at least to some degree. And only a little over 9% think DeWine is doing a worse job than Trump. Yeah, and e- even though more people uh, approve Trump than disapproved, it, it was nowhere near. And then the Amy Acton thing, I mean, the numbers for her were great too, right? Yeah, like more than 83%, I think, trust her, yeah, trust her information. There's good news for DeWine in this poll as he prepares to announce today what is expected to be a very slow reopening of the Ohio economy you know, maybe manufacturing and and a couple other things. People say they want to reopen the economy, but everything Baldwin-Wallace asked about, people said not yet. First, what did the poll say about restarting the economy? Yeah, 51.6% agree with reopening the economy beginning on May 1st, compared to 39.4% who disagreed. But as you said, that support did not hold up when they got down to the specifics. All right, let's start with the individual parts of the economy. What did people say about opening restaurants? Well, 55.9% said not yet, and um, only 30.3% said yes on that. Daycare centers? 66.6% said not yet, and 19.5% said yes. That's overwhelming. What about playgrounds? Playgrounds, a little less, uh, but 61.7% said not yet, and 27.9% said yes. Retail stores? 
They asked about all retail stores in this question, and, and this one was a little closer. They didn't quite get a majority, but 48% said not yet, and 35.9% said yes, go ahead. I wonder if that's because a lot of us have been into grocery stores and places and think that's working, and so we somehow think retail stores are okay. Yeah, what, about, be. what about barbers and hair salons? That one was 52.8% said not yet. And 33.6% said yes. Now that's, that's, that's actually fewer people against it than I would have thought. Is that because we're all getting so shaggy? We're just desperate to get <laughs> back. Are desperate. Yes, I think. <laughs> all right. Churches were, were not forcibly closed, but most have closed. What did people think about those? Yeah, they're still not ready on this one either. 56.9% said not yet. And 31.1% said yes. So really, <laughs> nothing Baldwin Wallace asked about right. got the public nod for opening, even though people want to want to reopen. They didn't ask about reopening schools, but they did ask whether people approved closing them to begin with. And that was really overwhelming. Quite overwhelming. This was 85.9% agreed to some degree with that decision. And that included 65.2% who strongly agreed with it. All right. So... The 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 feeling about DeWine, the feeling about Acton, all very positive, but Ohioans are not thinking very good thoughts about where the economy is going. No, not really. They, they're saying that over the next year, well, 44.6% said that it'll get worse. 34.2% said it'll get better. And 15% said it'll probably stay about the same. And a, a huge percentage, 93.5%, said they're somewhat or very concerned about the impact the coronavirus is going to have on the economy. So over the weekend, there was a lot of talk about how we really might need at least two more weeks and maybe all of May of stay-at-home orders to keep this virus at bay. In Michigan, they've already gone to May 15th. That if we reopen things too quickly, we release the hounds and the virus goes crazy again. DeWine has seemed seriously torn on trying to appease those in his party wanting to rush back versus what the scientists are telling him. But he clearly now has the support of people in this state if he follows his instinct and moves slowly, right? Yeah. You know, one one interesting result of this poll that we didn't mention yet is that 69.4% of the people polled disagree with the people who've been protesting against DeWine. So that's quite a pushback on this loud you know, apparent minority here. And so he certainly appears to be in the driver's seat as far as the, the public goes. But I wouldn't underestimate the pressure he's been getting from some of his fellow Republicans and, and people in the business community on this issue. But this gives him protection now. He could say, look, folks, <laughs> the people are speaking. They don't agree with you. Look, that the protesters are a tiny group of people that are getting outsized coverage. We talked about that last week. I would think that as he's getting ready at 2 o'clock to lay out what he has to lay out, that he has to like what he sees here. No doubt. Okay, it's this week in the CLE. Should we try to get back to normal following the pandemic or should we redefine ourselves? Chris Warnowski, you worked with reporter Corey Schaefer on a big thought story about the post-pandemic era. The story noted that a lot of people whose wealth depends on a quick return to what was will be messaging us nonstop about the patriotism of trying to get back. But others say we should rebuff that kind of thinking, that we should be deliberate on what we become, learn some lessons from what we've gone through. What was your takeaway from this? 
I think the the major takeaway is that we have an opportunity now, really, as as all of this has sort of unfolded. We sat at home in virtual isolation, thinking big things about the world, and and I think you know this would have been a really good time to sort of reboot society. And and I know this sounds very sort of tree huggish and and very bleeding heart, but you know this. Over the past eight, what is it, eight weeks now? Six weeks, eight weeks? I, I can't remember, to be Seems honest. Seems like forever. <laughs> yeah, right. Since eternity began. No. Uh, we've had all of this time to sit back and watch one by one as our systems have sort of not worked as they were supposed to. And you've watched the response to this virus sort of pull back the curtain on things like economic insecurity and health inequity and, you know, food deserts and how poorly our government is prepared to respond to stuff like this. And, you know, if you look at the unemployment system, the inability to carry the amount of people necessary to make sure that everybody has money in their banks so they can get food and things like that. I mean, we're seeing the food chain on the verge of break. I mean, there's so many things that we can see now as, as Americans, if, if you stand back and try to sort of look at the world objectively and, and you can see it and you can say like, these things are broken. And, and now while the world is on pause, why don't we take some time to think about it and have these discussions and try to decide what the world is going to look like on the other side of this? Well, a whole lot of people in this crisis have said it's amazing how much attention the world has paid it to this crisis, whereas the world is paying very little attention to the to the climate change crisis. But we've learned a lot here that could have a profound effect on climate change. If we stop commuting, that's the biggest source of pollution in our in Northeast Ohio is the the stuff coming out of cars. And the cars are off the road. I mean, you look at the sky today, it's spectacular blue. You know, we could learn from that, right? Because we, we talked about this last week. If you work from home, you're not on the road, you know, should should that be deliberate instead of accidental like it's been? It should, but I mean, here, you know, we're in a country where you know, whether these are genuine protests or not, you know, done in good faith. I mean, here are people complaining that they can't get their hair cut. You know, I mean, we're we are not a country that responds well to the notion of being slightly inconvenienced when it comes to our daily habits. You know, I mean, people want to go out and eat in restaurants and people are, you know, I mean, when you when you think about what people are being asked to sacrifice, you know, it it's minimal and people are kind of losing it a little. And so, you know, when it comes to these bigger picture things, I mean, are you going to be able to go out into the suburbs and tell people like, hey, you should probably drive less or, you know, I mean, it's it's our our acceptance of change is doesn't really sort of mesh with reality sometimes. You do need leadership to make those changes. Somebody has got to stand up and say, hey, we learned a lot here. Let's try to have less commuting. Let's try to fix our public health system. And where does that come from? I mean, everybody's going to be broke. Taxes are way down. There's going to be a financial crisis that lasts a while. Where does the leadership come from? Did Corey's story find any insight into that? I feel like we're in a position now where you know, I, I feel like people are going to have to step up when you when you look at, say, the 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 presidential race. I mean, this 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 is about as, as great of an illustration of comfort 
as you'll ever see. It's like we had the opportunity to pick how many different candidates and we went with reliable old Joe Biden. And it's it's like, you know, nobody was looking for drastic change in the middle of this. And so although this all let's face it, the crisis came after the candidates were chosen. If we right. were going through that process now, I wonder how much different. But, it but the point be. I was trying to make is, is that like in, in some ways there was a crisis before this. people don't believe in Donald Trump. You know, I mean, he has his base, but I feel like the majority of Americans are just looking to sort of get past that. And so when you when you have like the all of the candidates that we had, it's like everybody just, you know, Joe Biden to me represents. Let's just get through this and then and and, and then we'll we'll try big structural revolution or whatever, you know. And to me, that sort of runs parallel to what's going on with this virus, which is like, I think you have a certain amount of people who just want to get back to whatever comfort they had. And so it's it's going to take leadership that that can cut through the idea of just going back to Red Lobster is not what we need to sort of say we've gotten beyond this. Like there are massive gaps in the ability to address stuff like this if it happens again. You know, I think we'll be more prepared if it happens again, but we have to have resources and supplies and you know, equipment and and space and, you know, all of the stuff that, you know, we didn't have when this started, when we got our late start in responding to this, you know, it, we're going to need all of that again. And you're going to need somebody who can convince the public that it's worth the investment. We're right. going to need people so, so, to convince billionaires that it's worth the But back to my investment. question, though. Did Corey's story offer any insights into where that's coming from? It didn't. I mean, the no. problem is this conversation is taking place, but it's not being taken place in leadership. It's a it, good story. It was on Cleveland.com over the weekend, and I believe it's in the edition of The Plain Dealer today. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Has there been a run on fitness equipment in greater Cleveland during the coronavirus crisis? Simple answer, yes. Laura Johnston, what are the details? Well, gyms closed along with everything else the first week of the crisis. So from high school kids to fitness buffs, they all bought up all sorts of hand weights and dumbbells and weight benches because they wanted to stay in shape while they couldn't go to the gym. So and then people went out and bought treadmills. They bought elliptical machines, stationary bikes, just so they could, you know, work out at in the safety of their own homes. And then to get outside and get fresh air, people have also been thronging bike stores, both to buy new rides and to fix up bikes they've had in their basement for decades. So uh, the owner of Fitness Serve, which is a local store, um, I think there's one in Solon and Rocky River, told reporter Pete Krause that they did two months of sales in five to seven days. What's uh, what's kind of striking is the one of the hottest products in Greater Cleveland these days is chunks of metal that you lift, <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> and they're really hard to get. So with everything pretty much sold out, do the local retailers expect to get new merchandise in? I mean, a lot of this stuff comes from China, and the, the the trade routes are a little bit interrupted. I saw one guy expects a delivery of weight soon, but he has a long waiting list. Yeah, he's expecting 53,000 pounds of free weights, and he's worried about social distancing because he's got like 200 people who want to rush to the store to pick them up. So yeah, supply is a concern. I don't think they've seen it yet, but as people come out more and the supply chain is disrupted because of China, then they're really worried where they're going to get more of this stuff. What is it about the bikes? Is it that people have such limited recreational opportunities that, that, that this is the one you can do? Chris Warnowski, you just bought a bike. What went into your thinking? 
well, I thought there were going to be fewer cars on the road, so I might as well take advantage of these empty streets. Actually, it was just like, there's a shop right across the street from my house. And I thought, well, A, I can support a local business. B, it's going to be nice. So I need something to get out and and do. And, and I needed a reason to go outside and not be sort of stuck in the house. You know, I, I could sit in here all day and work and you know, watch TV or whatever. But at some point we're going to, you know, we live in an apartment and there's two of us in here. So at some point we're going to drive each other nuts. So we have to have reason to, <laughs> to just get outside and be, you know, and be out in the world, even though, you know, you can't talk to anybody or, you know, be within six feet of another human being. And well, if you're on a I, bike, you got to get, you got to get more than six feet. Well, right. that's One thing is my kids have been riding their bikes a lot with their friends next door. And you really cannot be closer than six feet on a bike. So it's one way kids can get out and play a little bit. And also if you're staying home and you're not in your car, like I've used my bike to run down to Ace Hardware to pick something up. You can actually do a couple of errands on a bike and feel like you're getting some exercise and you're getting fresh air and because you're not getting on a highway. So. But this is one of the, you know, when we've, when we've talked about in the past and, and even on the podcast earlier about, you know, what the world will look like after this. And we've even written about this, you know, this is, this is one of those things where people are going to start to realize how great it is to be able to just hop on your bike, you know, and run an errand as opposed to hopping in your car and, and, and driving somewhere every time you need something, you know, I, to me, that's, I live in a neighborhood that, that fosters that. And, and so like the other thinking was, it's like sort of time to take advantage of the fact that I live somewhere where I can actually do that. We got to check out and see if there's an increase in bike thefts for a lot of bikes being used. Jane, you got your bike tuned up? It's kind of ready to go. I'm sorry to say I haven't been out on it, but you know, I agree with what Chris said about the the lack of traffic. It seems like a perfect time because one thing I've been reluctant about is, you know, during normal traffic with all the distracted drivers out there, you know, um, but with less traffic, it doesn't seem like it's as big of a concern. Although, man, when I was out over the, on Saturday, we went to, to take the dog on a walk at a park in Jog County. There were a lot of cars on the road. I wouldn't have wanted to be on a bike on Saturday. <laughs> Pete's story didn't say it, but the online sites are out of things, too. It's why I asked about the local story. I noticed some chatter on Reddit by people who simply cannot get the things they want. Everything is sold out. And with much of it coming from China, it's not clear when everyone will get restocked. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What are the coronavirus trends in Cuyahoga County? I have to take a moment here to say some good things about the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. We've been all over them for many weeks now for their stinginess about coronavirus data. First, they refused to provide anything. Then all we got was zip code breakdowns. On Friday, they provided a ton of data, breakdowns by underlying condition, race, age. So a salute because of the move toward transparency. Way to go. And the public you serve does appreciate it. We know because they tell us. So, Laura Johnston, what does that rich source of data say? Yeah, for the first time, we're getting a lot of this specific information. For example, the number of people who've recovered, the number of healthcare workers who have the coronavirus. About 22% of the cases at the board, and these are in the suburbs, not in Cleveland, because they have their own health department, about 22% are healthcare workers. That's 1,469 cases total. And of those, 243 people are in the hospital, and 79 of those healthcare workers are in the ICU. I'm particularly interested in the number with underlying conditions is that seems to be emerging as the highest correlation to getting seriously sick. If you have two of the conditions, heart disease, diabetes, 
hypertension and a few other things, you're in trouble. So what what did we find there? Yeah, about 43% of coronavirus patients in the suburbs have a pre-existing condition that puts them at a higher risk for complications for the virus. The board doesn't have medical history, though, for about a third of those cases, so it could be much higher. Uh, those are huge numbers. Uh, about 75% of the suburbanites who are hospitalized with the coronavirus have the underlying conditions, and 86% in the ICU have them. You know, you you mentioned a minute ago that this is just for the suburbs because Cleveland has its own numbers. Should point out, Cleveland inexcusably is providing nothing like this, so we're getting nothing useful really about the the, the people who have this in the city. What does the race data show for the suburbs? So out of all the cases, 56% of people are white and 31% are black. Black patients make up 36% of the hospitalized cases and 42% in the ICU. Well, for people with questions about this virus, this is the kind of data they've been waiting for. So again, well done by the County Board of Health. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Should workers at the Cuyahoga County Jail get extra pay because of the risks they are taking with the coronavirus? They think so. Chris Warnowski, the union representing guards, sent a letter about this. What do they want? Right. Eric Isaac uh, obtained a copy of this letter over the weekend. And so far, 56 inmates have tested positive, And they said that nine uh, sheriff's department employees who staff the jail had tested positive. And, and the head of the union that represents the corrections workers and the workers in the jail basically said to, in a letter to Armin Budish, the county executive, that they need hazard pay for being there on the front lines as this continues to spread through the jail and that, you know, none of the people who took their jobs, you know, could have anticipated something like this when they, A, took their jobs and B, when the union ratified its contract with the county. So there's really nothing in the contract that, you know, says that the county has to do this, but they're saying like, hey, look, you know, we're we're doing this work in a place where it's spreading. So take care of us. They're also demanding as much equipment as they can to respond to this, like PPE and stuff like that. We had a similar request from Cleveland police, right? Yeah. So earlier in, in, in April, we we had the union for all of all 1500 officers sent a letter to the mayor and, and several city council members asking for an extra $1,200 a month for all officers because of the risk of the exposure that they face every day while they're out there on the streets patrolling. So these requests come as the city and county government officials are planning to cope with serious blows to their budgets. Income and sales taxes that they rely on to pay for all this stuff have dropped precipitously. Is there any acknowledgement in these requests that governments are in a serious budget crunch? I mean, so many people have lost their jobs. And then you got these guys asking for more of the public's money. No, I mean, there really isn't much a concern for that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like if if you're out there in the thick of things, are is that really going to be the thing that's at the forefront of your mind? I could kind of empathize in, in this situation because, you know, here you have people who, you know, are not only at risk of exposing them, but we expect them to be at risk. We expect them to sort of run in there and help people and, and do this kind of work. And, and, you know, it's, I, I feel like in, in a situation like this, I think police, there's more of an expectation police for police to be in this position than, than corrections officers. But, you know, this is something that I don't think the corrections, most corrections facilities weren't really equipped 
you know, to tackle to begin with. So, so it's, it's, this is a tough one. You know, I, I think I, you're going to start hearing more and more stories about struggling governments and, you know, cuts everywhere. I mean, you, you hear it every day from Mike DeWine and just about how deep the cuts are going to be at the state level. So, well, you, you know, know, but, but, you know, doctors, nurses, people in nursing homes, there are other hotbeds of this, this virus where people are faced with it every day and we don't see them making demands for more money. Well, um, the other thing is we don't see their demands for more money because that's true. It's not government companies and stuff like that. I mean, it's, you know, the great thing about our government is that we get to see it all ideally. So, you know, it's, except with the Cleveland health department. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, but you know, it's, it's, it's that thing where, you know, this is probably happening in hospital systems and in, you know, in, and in private nursing homes, it's just, it's, we don't see it in the way that, that, you know, we can, when we look at our government. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Are we in a recession yet? A depression? Reporter Bob Higgs checked with some experts to find out what the difference is between the two and if we are in one of them yet as a result of the coronavirus shutdown. Lord Johnston, first, are we in a recession? Probably. It hasn't been declared yet, and when it does, we'll probably find that it began last month. The National Bureau of Economic Research <laughs> actually decides this. What's the definition of a recession? Okay, I'm going to quote Bob here. A recession is defined by the Federal Reserve as two consecutive quarters of decline in real gross domestic product or the value of all the goods and services produced by an economy in a year. They also look at industrial output, employment levels, and wholesale retail sales. Uh, What's the definition of a depression? There's actually not a separate definition, which surprised me. Depressions are generally more severe than recessions, and they last several years. So did the experts say anything that might give us optimism? Yeah, yeah, we might be able to come back faster because this downturn was created by the response to the coronavirus pandemic rather than a collapse of the entire financial system. The system actually has a lot of safeguards in place because of the last recession. So as long as we open back up safely, cautiously, people have confidence and we don't see a big spike in more cases, then in a few years we could get back to the where the economy was. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. Jane, you had a busy Sunday with the poll and you have a busy Monday with the wines announcement on reopening the economy and you have the election on Tuesday. Yeah, I've got all that and I have to keep you at bay too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will have lots to talk about tomorrow on DeWine's plan for the reopening, unless he postpones it again. Thank you, Jane, for seeing it all through. It was good stuff all weekend. Thanks to Laura and Chris for the conversation, and thank you for listening. We'll be here tomorrow with another episode of This Week in the CLE. 